Hello and welcome to Locked On Marlins, your daily Marlins podcast with me, Peter Pratt. Don't forget to follow me, guys, on Twitter at MiamiMarlins underscore UK. Don't forget that underscore. And welcome to the Monday edition of Locked On Marlins. This is coming off the back of a 3-1 series win against those Phils. And joining me to debrief on everything we saw in that series, Sean Barrett is back in the house, a UK goat. Sean, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Pete. What a series that was. Uh, looking forward to getting into it. 100%. What a series, what a series. Um, what did you make of the Phils quickly, just on those boys? I think I think they are what we thought they were. Mm. They're, they're not exactly an exciting team, in my eyes. There's, there's not much pitching, especially if Wheeler is going to struggle like he is currently. Mm. The defence is, is not exactly uh, top of the range. And, you know, they're, they're, they are going to be reliant on the bats picking all of that up. And, you know, bats go cold, bats go hot. So, you know, we, I think we caught them at the right time. Yeah, I, th- I think we really did. I mean, they were scuttling, I think, coming into it. And um, yeah, obviously, <laughs> we we always play them tough. Uh, you know, looking at the numbers, Marlins against the Phils, we've just, we've had their number. Against the rest of the division, we've struggled, but the Phils, we seem to kind of match up nice to those. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, before we get into it, a reminder, this episode is brought to you by BetOnline and BetOnline.net has you covered this season with more props, odds and lines than ever before. Bet online where the game starts. And Sean, for us, let's start with the home opener. Let's start there. Well, actually, before we go there, I'll ask you from a Marlins perspective, your key takeaway, actually, from the four-game series, what's the one thing you've taken away or maybe the, a handful of things that you took away from that series? I mean, number one was that we were right to be patient. Mm. You know, it was that case of everything is there. The starting pitching is, is still as good as we knew it was going to be. The, the bullpen, as I said last time, it's a it's a surprisingly as good as it is. You know, the bats. We're going again. We're going to get carried by how far the bats go. We're going to be kept in it. You know, it, the team is in my eyes going to be there or thereabouts a five hundred team. If if some of the bats continue to pop as they are, then that's going to progress. The team ultimately their chances of playoffs are going to be being kept close with the with the pitching. Bats getting us timely hits. And maybe a few upgrades come June, July. And I had nothing over that first week where we were one and four changed that in my mind. And I feel even more confident with that now. With you know a couple of the key bats warming up, BA who I pretty much buried last time, yeah. you know warming back up. You know it's it is exciting to sort of see where this team's going to go. You know back at home, win a series. Against the fields is always a is a good news to me. For sure. Are you higher or lower on the fish now, more generally after you know, what ten games or whatever? Has anything changed? I think the only things that have changed is that sense of we hoped that a couple of the bats would would come alive, and you know you look at the new acquisitions with Garcia and Soler, and you're looking at those as those big power bats that the team brought in. And to be fair, they've started off pretty slow. Mm. It's been Chisholm and it's been uh, Sanchez that have really carried the team over the you know, specifically over this series. Yeah. You know, Sanchez multiple hits in multiple games, and, and and Chisholm doing more or less the same. And, that, and that's the that's where the offense has been carried. You know, you'd like to see some of the other guys start to come in with with their hits. But if we can win games with one or two guys being hot. And cycle through them. Mm. You know, we, we don't. We don't. We've got a lineup now where you don't need everyone to be on. 
You just need one or two guys to be on their game one day. The pitching's going to keep the score low nine times out of ten. And yeah, just a couple of hits here and there. We're going to win a lot of games like we did with in the home opener, four mm. to three. That's 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 the Marlins' uh, sort of line towards success. Yeah, you made a really interesting point there because last season, like one to nine, the whole lineup had someone that produced, but on their own for a period. There was times when Coop was the best hitter in baseball. Aguilar on the road was hitting bombs every day in the eighth inning, and it was sensational. And Duvall obviously would just heat up. Marte would just go on tears. All these guys had great stretches, but never at the same time. Never, ever. And you basically just had one dude that was hot and then seven bats that were cold. Like you said now, actually, what we're seeing well, right now in the first 10 games, Jazz and Jesus Sanchez, for, for sure, are hot. The two of them are hot together at exactly the same time. And there's other guys that are actually you know, not quite as smoking hot as those dudes, but are performing well. And then there's other guys that are cold. And what it's meaning is the reliance isn't just on one dude to give a big hit. It's like actually the, the lineup, the way it's built, isn't, it isn't bombs away anymore. It doesn't feel that way. It's just bat on ball. Ball in the gaps is the way. Ball down the line. <laughs> I mean, the, the amount of balls down third base or first base line in this series was sensational. How many triples have they hit early on? It's just it's crazy. I'm not sure it's sustainable, but I think that point you make there of you know getting multiple guys hot at the same time and that's enough, really. And it, we've proved it this this weekend. Like, it's enough if you've got two dudes that are scorching, others that are okay, and then a couple of guys are cold, and they'll all come back around. How big was it, though, that obviously Avi and Soler, both of them, I think, in the same game on Saturday, both got their first bombs. Coop also in the in the home opener, first bomb of the year, too. So some of the guys that are more the prototypical power bats, how big is it for them to kind of just you know get one in the books? Yeah, I think the first one's always going to be the most important one. I mean, if we went into another series and you're looking at it and you're going with 10 games in, they've not hit a home run yet. You, you know, you have that little bit of a concern. Um, and additionally, the home runs that, that got hit, they they were hit. Yeah. I had no concerns about their ability to hit home runs in Lone Depot Park, but to see it is always, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Seeing them hit these absolute massive bombs is, is always going to, you know, give you confidence. You know, it, uh, ultimately they're both hitting under 200, but it's it's early days. It's a, it's a new environment for them. And, yeah, I mean, we're winning games while they're cold. So hopefully in turn when they do heat up and maybe, you know, Sanchez isn't going to keep this up. Yeah. I mean, let's hope he does, but, yeah. you know, realistically, he isn't. Um, surprisingly, actually, I had a quick look, and his BAPIP isn't crazy. I think it was 318, and last year was 316, um, which surprised me. Usually, when you see a guy going on an absolute tear, just everything's dropping for him. Yeah. But actually, the, the, the big change between the numbers from last year and this year, why he's hitting 300 now rather than 250 like it was last year, it's actually his contact rate. Contact rate's gone up. The mm. K's have come down. Yeah. Is it sustainable? I don't know. But it's definitely the, those green shoots that you really want to see from a young guy. For sure. Got a little bit more time to see him in the field as well as centre field. What's been your takeaway from him with the glove? It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to be so dismissive, but okay's fine. I'll take it. Again, I had a quick look at after the, this four-game stretch 
at his um, his defensive metrics. And again, they are just that creep over zero, which is all we we really want. But actually watching the games and seeing him play, he's starting to feel kind of comfortable out there. And I think he was quoted as saying he now feels more comfortable in centre field than right field. Whether or not that's actually true and that's just you know talking to reporters, you don't know. But if if he feels at the point where it's no longer this you know this maze and this crazy situation where what why am I playing centre field? I can't play centre field. If he feels comfortable there and he can be yeah bang on average, you know that's that's all we need from him. I'm with you. Uh, and you're right, actually, I saw that, uh, that I guess, post-game interview. I think it was Jordi Carmona asking him. It was in Spanish, but he effectively um, you know, translated it in front for a Twitter perspective to say, actually, he feels more comfortable in centre field than he did at right field. So I, I think he's, been, he's looked fine. He definitely has. And, you know, obviously getting to see the Phillies outfield, you know, they... Looked a lot worse, I think, like eyeball test anyway. Like there were some balls towards Castellanos, particularly yesterday in, in the Sunday game. And I know they're down the line, they're in the gaps and they're hitting the wall. But Castellanos just, he, <laughs> he, he lacks a little bit of, he lacks a little bit of hunger, I think, in the outfield, to be honest with you. I don't think he likes being out there. I think he wants to just be DHing, um, to be honest. I think he'd be happy if Bryce is out there doing his thing. So the outfield, the things look, look nice. Just one final piece on the outfield as well. Brian De La Cruz, I mean, listen, he came in the game, started the game yesterday, obviously the Marlins shuffle in the pack. Um, Brian De La Cruz, not just the outfield, but the bat. The bat looks nice. Like, just, the guy just can't stop hitting, it seems. Like, De La Cruz plus Sanchez. What have you made of Brian De La Cruz? I mean, he's taken the opportunities where he can get them. You know, he is, you know, we looked at, you know, if you look at last year's stats, he's actually, he was really good. And to be fair, Marlins of old, he would have been the centre fielder. Mm. You know, the Marlins that don't spend, you know, we've got this guy who is a major league above average player who can play centre field, you know, plug him in and, and realistically that would work. You know, if, if, if he is that guy that's going to come in and, and take those opportunities when he can get them, and he's going to get them because the way Donnie plays the game, he's going to have mix and matching. He's going to, you know, platoon a few guys here and there, not massively, but do you know what I mean? He take the opportunity of the matchups, lefty to righties. Yeah. The Marlins have now got 10, 11, 12 deep in players who could realistically, deservedly play every get every day. And, Having that opportunity to be able to say, right, I want my lefties against lefties, my righties against righties. When a guy's cold, I can bench him and bring in another major league average player or above. You know, if a guy's a little banged up, you know, give him a day off. Give him a day off before an actual scheduled day off. Give him two days off, which I think he did with Coop the other day. You know, it is that sense of you've got so many, they've got enough bats now to play, you know, really good baseball and having guys that should be playing sat on the bench when when they might need a blow. You know, it is that case of the depth is absolutely there and and it's remarkable to watch. Truly is. I think it's been the biggest takeaway, like just to round up in this first segment, the biggest takeaway for me is the depth is real. The depth truly is there for the fish this year and it looks and feels different. Clearly, injuries will, will happen etc like it's just part of the game no one at the moment has kind of 
had a, you know, no one's gone to the IL yet anyway for the fish, so that's good. Um, obviously, Floro started there, but you know, from particularly, I'm thinking more on the the offensive side and the, the depth, the way that Donny can mix and match. I think is really, you know, even where Coop yesterday, he's he's having a day because he's he's hurt his elbow for that crazy collision with Birdie, and all that means is you shuffle the pack. De La Cruz comes into the outfield. Avi Gas, um, who goes to the DH? Someone DHs. Avi Garcia, maybe was he DHing? Any, either way, anyway, there's you know someone's DHing. Uh, De La Cruz comes. Soler, 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 it was exactly. So Soler's DHing, um, and this is it. You just got like the depth knocking around there that you can lean on. Obviously, Brian Anderson then goes out into the outfield and, and into left. So Brian Anderson's out in left field. He's never been there, I think, ever. I'm not sure, but he, he you know, he set the tone with a sliding grab. Um, early doors, and you're like, okay, BA, he's looking nice and left. And this is it. It's just utility guys or guys with multi-position eligibility, they're getting it done, but the bats are in the lineup, and you never look at it, apart from the catcher, obviously, but most teams have that problem, uh, particularly on a Sunday, uh, where you've got your backup catcher in. Um, but you're not, you're not thinking, oh, there's a weak link here. The depth is there, one to eight at least, and you know, put Stallings in there, I'd say one to nine. Um, you've got some decent bats. And I think it shows because you get the momentum. This is what we've seen in these big, big blowouts. I say blowout, but I mean, actually it was a blowout yesterday, but you know, on Friday too, where they put up a, you know, seven, it's because... They just have these relatively big innings where they kind of just get the momentum rolling and everyone just keeps hitting and balls into the gaps, doubles, triples. The next thing is you put up four runs. You go, okay, great. You know, we've blown it open here. And the Marlins too yesterday, they they missed opportunities, quite significant opportunities with the bases juiced multiple times. So they could have really busted it open and hung like a 20 spot on the fills at some point. Like I thought, a big hit here, you know, it could be a 10, a 10 run inning or whatever. And, you know, it didn't happen. 11-3 was all we needed for sure, but that's been my biggest takeaway in the first 10 games. The depth is real. And I actually think we have completely underestimated how nicely Kim has built this roster, is my takeaway. Like, I actually feel like it's nice. I mean, this Wendell trade, I think we undervalued that, or people did, perhaps. I'm not sure I did. I've always been on the Wendell trade. I completely saw what it was going to do. But in general, I don't think we knew how good he was. And now we're seeing it, and we're like, oh, actually, yeah, Wendell is a legit stud. He was a bloody all-star last year. He's been a stud, but I don't think we truly appreciate that because he's on the raise and he's, he's hidden away from eyeballs. Um, so, anyway, that was my biggest takeaway. The depth is real, and you know, Sean's touched on it too. A uh, few, few other topics for us to get into, um, but just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by BetOnline, BetOnline.net, your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports and more. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Sean, I, want to, I do now want to come back to where it started, the home opener and Sandy Alcantara getting the ball, but I really want to ask you, I got uh, Noah Berger on to talk to me about his experiences there, but just for you as a UK fan like me sitting at home seeing 31,000 in, in Lone Depot, a close game that the Marlins eke out and get a win, just how good did it make you feel to see it packed out like that and the atmosphere buzzing like it was? Oh, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, 
I think some of the moves that they've made as far as the in-game, you know, atmosphere mm. for the fans is it, fantastic. I mean, that that light show, that disco light show at the end of the game, I mean, you could look at it and think it was a bit corny, but could you imagine home opener, Ireland's win, a couple of beers down. Mm. Uh, I know I'd be up and down partying with the rest of them. It looked fantastic. It looked like a really good night out. It looked like something that you go, oh, it's Saturday night. What should we do? Go see the Marlins. I think that genuinely is something that, you know, the local local fans can really look at as an option, as an entertaining evening out. And let's face it, you're in Miami. You've got an awful lot of competition. You've got to put a really good team on the on the field and you need to and you need to back that up with the rest of it. And I think ultimately, early days, but you know, they look like they're doing that. Yeah. Is this a team that excites you, you know, from your perspective? Are you if you were in the listen, if we were in the area, we'd go, it wouldn't matter. I mean, we'd be there. But just in terms of excitement levels from past years, maybe even look to last year, because I, I do feel like last year's roster was built pretty nicely too. There were some exciting dudes, but do you feel more excited about this this year's roster or the same? Or like, who, who's going to get you down to the ballpark? You know, that's a very good question. I mean, Jazz, for sure. Uh, yeah. Jesus, the way he's playing at the moment, you know, obviously we'd like to see Garcia, we'd like to see Soler, you know, those those big home runs, they, they are absolutely appointment viewing when they occur. Obviously we need to see them happen. Mm. But ultimately, winning baseball is 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 the key you know and with with winning baseball you're going to have those bats that the Marlins aren't going to win unless they, their bats are alive so i think ultimately winning baseball brings the fans to the stadium playoff baseball will bring the fans to the to the stadium and that's what the Marlins need to do and and so far early returns i think you're absolutely right in saying that kim ang has has built a team that is currently you know looking to achieve those goals. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the most comical moments via kind of that that happened on Twitter, uh came out and joined the, the broadcast. Um one of the games might have been the home open, I think it was. And uh it looked firstly it looked cozy in the booth is how I describe it. She was kind of it looked like she was sat on Paul Severino's knee and JP Aaron Subia kind of sat behind and they all it looked a little bit cozy in there. I think you know maybe you know kind of extended out a little bit. Nevertheless, great to hear from Kim directly. And I must say, I loved some of the questions that JP was throwing towards Kim about, I thought, really interesting questions to ask her, like, how do you feel as a GM watching a game? How do you watch a game? And I think that's a really interesting question. You know, how how nervous and anxious are you? And I get the sense that she is. She kind of lives and feels like almost every pitch. Um, nevertheless, um, <laughs> coming out of that, one of the funny moments was that she called out specifically the reason for, for going after Abby Garcia was the, the multiple 30 home run seasons he's had. And um, yeah, Alex Ferrer uh, on Twitter then pointed out, uh, actually, in his 11 Major League Baseball seasons, he's not been over 30 bombs once. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I get the point she was making. What the point is, he, he's a legit power threat, which is true. And um, I think she just used the wrong number to demonstrate that, but it kind of made me laugh. But um, Soler getting off the mark like he did too. And uh, I think Noah called this out last week, saying that Soler being Cuban and the Cuban community in the area, like 
Soler has power that no one else does. Like his home run was just insane, insane distance, like it's Stanton territory. If Soler can get hot, legitimately hot this year, and the Marlins are in a postseason run, um, you know, the Cuban crew are just going to be piling out. You know, like he's leading off. He's got this like 450 to 500 foot bomb power in his bat. People are going to be down there. The light show's popping off. I'm, I'm with you on the light show, by the way. It did look a bit corny preseason. And it does look corny because when you play it and nothing's happening on the field and there's no fans there, it looks a bit poo. But after a game, when you've just squeaked on 1-4-3 with, you know, really close game, everyone's hyped, everyone's pumped, and the lights come on, it's a different atmosphere, right? It's a bit of a game changer, so... Vince, I, I think it's an in-stadium thing. On TV, maybe for us, it doesn't look as as, as, exactly. as exciting. But I think in-stadium, I think that that's something that, you know, it's 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 a kitsch, isn't it? It's, it's a bit Miami. And I think, yeah. to a certain degree, we lost a lot of Miami from the stadium experience recently with the colour changes and everything and, and the... And the the structure out in centre field. Ultimately, you know, it is Miami, and you've got to have that little bit of you know kitsch. I think. I'm with you. Like uh, it's funny. I was on. I was on with Sully on the Locked On MLB pod. Um, we were talking more generally about the Marlins, and and he called that out. He was like, "What do you think? This, you know, this, the statue's gone, and you know, whatever. How do you feel?" I was like, "Well, I kind of liked it, and I, I like the fact that they had some Miami quirks. Like Miami is, it's just, it's an elaborate, exuberant city." And it felt like the ballpark went a bit too corporate in some ways. Like, that's how I feel. It, it just looked a bit too blue and a bit corporate and a bit bit too Yankee. And I understand why, um, for sure. But it was nice to see some changes happening. It looked like the Clevelander, although not quite the Cle- You know, the pool, I don't think, is back. But, you know, they had that section going again. And I saw people on Twitter going, hey, what's happening? Is the Clevelander back? What's going on? Um, so I think a lot of people pumped. Like I think they enjoyed being back in the ballpark. You know, they're slightly disappointed that it hasn't been thirty thousand every game since then. Obviously, but you know normally opening days pumped, um, and they're battling with the Panthers right now and the Heat. You know these guys are in playoff mode, and so there's a, a lot of fans are going to obviously the the postseason runs for for these teams, and it's one of the core things that the Marlins face, and one of the things that Craig Mish talked about as well, like. The Marlins need to play well, early and quick, because if they don't, there's a lot of other sports things out there that are going to gain the eyeballs and the fans. So, yeah, I, think, it's a bit- I think the key is is sort of late May, June, July. Yeah. yeah. When, those sports, when the sports are finished and it's just baseball, you know, there's a little bit of time before American football kicks in. That's when the Marlins need to be. That's what the hot start was all about. The Marlins need to take that run past basketball, past ice hockey, because specifically basketball in Miami is always going to be competitive. Yeah. You know, the ice hockey is give or take, but at the moment they're, they're, they're pretty hot. So they're going to make the playoffs for sure. So if the Marlins are eight, 10 games under 500 in in May and June, they've, they've lost that momentum. They've lost that opportunity. You know, you're starting to get, you're getting into summer. In Miami, do you really want to go and see a baseball team that are that many games under 500? They need to push on. And ultimately, as fans, all we should care about is them winning games to win games. But we understand that people go into the ballpark, having fans there is so important to 
the the, the business of the team. Mm. And you know, it's it's depressing to think of it that way, but that's the way it is. You know, if, if the Marlins are going to be, you know, not competitive and draw in six, seven thousand a game, that's just not going to create that that desire to build a winning team or the financial ability to do so. So I think that that's why, as even as fans, we are aware that the the Marlins have got to battle all those challenges to create a winning team to bring the fans. And once the fans come and there are no big, great build, you know, breakdowns and, and fire cells, and I don't think there will be. I think if the Marlins can build a winner, that they will push on from that. And I think that that would be something, well, it is something that we have never seen in the Marlins history. No. Uh, the day of the rebuild is gone for the fish, in my opinion. Now, like it, it, it truly is the way they've set themselves up. There's just no need. Okay, players will come and go. They always do, but uh, they they will. There won't be a Marlins rebuild now, you know, in its in the Marlins style of rebuilds. Maybe ever again, perhaps. I mean, who knows? But I just can't see it happening in the next five seasons. There's no reason to. All these dudes are young, controllable dudes, or they're on, you know, contracts already. There's no need to tear it down. Farms there producing. I don't think we'll we'll see a rebuild like that, you know, for at least five years. I would say so, and that should give you know give the fans confidence. You know, if Jazz Chisholm continues to ascend like he he, he is right now, and listen, Jazz has the personality and the exuberance, irrespective of what he delivers on the field, that Major League Baseball will continue to pump him, and so will the Marlins. But if you add to that a dude that delivers on the field like he has started scorching hot, then boy, oh boy, that is just, it's perfect for the fish, perfect for baseball. And, uh, you know, it's great for the fans too. We all love Jazz. One of the biggest problems we've had this season is Jazz has been left out two games against two lefties, and it's been, you know, Marlon's Twitter's losing its mind. Um, what just, just on that, what's your take on that? You know, do you think it's a full-blown full platoon, or is it just, like, it was the right day to get him a day off and, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't see him sitting against every lefty, I think, is the, the question I'm asking. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, realistically, if if the Marlins want to build Jazz up as that guy, that, that linchpin of the offence, as far as bringing fans to the stadium, being, being you know, that middle infielder who's just electric, he's going to have to bat against lefties. And you're not going to have that by having him... If he's only getting an occasional bat against a lefty, then it's not going to work. I think, it, again, it is still so early. And yes, while you can play the matchups, you should play the matchups. It's worked reasonably well so far, but I think you're right. I think it is a case of he's not going to sit against every lefty. No. I think he's, if he continues to hit the way he's hitting, he's going to get the opportunity to, to bat against more lefties. He's going to get the opportunity to bat further up the lineup. You know, it's it is that case of if he is the best bat on the team and at the moment he's kind of performing like that, mm-hmm. then yeah, you want him getting as many at bats as possible and you want as many at bats in those key spots, you know, back and forth and fifth in the lineup, having guys getting on base ahead of him. You know, as it stands, if if we bat him ninth, okay, cool, he's he's that second lead off guy, second time through the lineup. But you're gonna have 
stallings hitting up in front of him. You're going to have Miggy, who at the moment's cold, but let's hope that, that changes. But ultimately, what I'm saying is you've got two guys ahead of him who are currently, and with stallings, you can kind of expect that to be the case for the rest of the season because he's, he's a catcher. He's a mm. defensive first catcher as well. Guys that aren't going to get on base as much. What's the point in having guys ahead of Chisholm, who at the moment is ripping the, the cover off the ball, hitting doubles and you know left, right, and centre, triples? You want guys on base when that occurs. For sure. And that was uh, the key difference, I think, yesterday in yesterday's game. He was hitting in the six-hole, I believe, from, from memory anyway, was uh, was definitely higher up the order. I'm, I'm saying that and now starting start to doubt myself. Um, oh, he was, yeah. No, you're right. So he was in the six-hole, and, and, and you're right, a couple of big hits came. Uh, I remember the, the reaction sensation. You haven't seen it go back and look. Um, there was a couple of runners on. Maybe even bases juice, can't recall. But anyway, he, he lines one and literally lines one down the line. Um, and it was, it, you know, he knew it. And he gave it a kind of bat flip pause at the top of his swing. And it just a little bat drop that was nice because he knew he knew it was RBIs for sure. Uh, I think he brought in two, if I, if I remember right. But, you know, like you said, he's got the runners on. He's hitting well. And he's, um, you know, he's, he's been great, no doubt. I think that's a really interesting part is where does Jazz hit in this lineup? He's not, he's not been in the leadoff spot at all this year, I, I don't believe either. So, um, you know, we sat against most lefties or two lefties. Listen, it went wonky on Saturday, like the game itself. Um, in some ways, it was the perfect day to sit Jazz because, you know, Trevor Rogers just couldn't get it going uh, for whatever reason. Uh, Mel Stoudemire, I believe, kind of... It, put it forward that perhaps he was tipping pitches again, which is what he did against the Phils in 2020. Same team. And the same thing happened. So, you know, Trevor got blown up and it's the perfect day for Jazz to be off because the game got out of hand after the second inning. You're like, great. Do you know what? Rather than have to sit him on the Sunday, you know, luckily we've sat him on the Saturday. Trevor's got blown up and, you know, let's see what he can do on the Saturday. So, yeah, it kind of worked out well on that one. Um Let's, we'll round up shortly, but a uh, reminder, this episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. And a reminder, guys, those puffs, you need to get stuck into those puffs. You're missing out one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. They're a protein-infused marshmallow. Yep, a protein-infused marshmallow. Fluffy, marshmallowy. Not just a protein bar, they're a treat. Covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Boy, oh boy, sounds good. Um, tons of flavors as well, absolutely tons. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. If you like what you hear, and get over to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, it's LOCKED15, to get 15% off your order. Sean, I just want to ask you about Trevor Rogers uh, before we get out of here. Um, how concerned were you with what you saw with Trevor, or do you think it was this kind of tipping issue again, and basically the Phillies just knew what was coming? I think I think if, if Mel says that he thinks they were tipping pitches, then I have to tend to agree with him. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue against him about pitching. Um realistically. I think yeah, I mean, even if it wasn't it's it's one start, um and you've kind of just gotta sort of hold your hands up. Yeah, they they, they hit him good. I mean, first start of the year was wasn't fantastic, but it was okay, you know. It was certainly better than that start. I think realistically, you know, you you take a look at the next start. I think they're going to be looking at it. They're going to go through the video. They're going to go through 
all the scenarios of what happened and and they'll if there's something there they'll they'll find it and and they'll adjust to it and realistically that it happened so early in the season is probably better than you know if it wasn't such a bad start would they have suspected that mm. or they just think oh well you, you got hit better luck next time by knowing that there is a mistake there is an issue if there is an issue they can correct it now and i think the next two three starts will be key yeah um, on, on seeing if, if, if that were the case I think the interesting thing with Trevor too, I remember the way the spring schedule worked. Like he barely got any like proper live reps in proper games because there was off days on the fifth day or whatever, the way the schedule worked. And I wonder if that plays in a bit like how the Phillies are saying, oh, well, Wheeler's kind of behind schedule and, you know, whatever. I know it's slightly different, but, you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see. I think it's going to be a really interesting start. The next start will be on the road in Atlanta. So... Be a tough test, no doubt. One byproduct of that start, though, and I think this was interesting, we got a good look at Cody Poteet again. You know, it was necessary. Pitch well, you know, over three innings from Cody Poteet in that game. Um, plus that game also, you know, we had some a nice inning as well from uh, Tanner Scott. You know, 3K struck out the side. Okurt, another, you know, perfect inning for him with a K. Castano out. He's been optioned subsequently because, um, you know, they need to use him too much. Um, but the byproduct was we got to see some of these guys in the pen and are performing well. Like, you know, these names we mentioned, Tanner Scott earlier on, we mentioned O'Kurt. Um, guys were liking Salsa as well, who we saw yesterday, gave up a bomb though yesterday. But, you know, nevertheless, some of these pen arms are looking nice, Poteet looking nice. Um, Armstrong, um, you know, we're, we're, I guess getting, we still a couple weeks left, but the rosters will shrink again to 26. Um, Armstrong for me looks like maybe one of the types of arms that could be, you know, disposable. Let's say that's probably the wrong way of just, you know, describing it. But more broadly, on the positive side, you know, getting to see Poteet, um, Okurt, and um, and Tanner Scott doing their thing in that game as well. Clearly in a blowout situation, but still nice to see. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, Poteet in particular, that that idea of three three and a third innings, you know, spread a couple of hits, a couple of strikeouts, what four strikeouts. You know, it was that case of he was coming in. And he was eating innings. Yeah, but he proved, you know, he proved that he can he can pitch um, and keep a, he kept the game as if it hadn't already gone completely out of hand. He kept the game not close, but he kept it level. Yeah, the, the status quo was kept. Now, obviously, you'd be you'd be expecting an awful lot from the bats to pick that up, but oh, well, yeah, no, nice appearance. Uh, Tanner Scott, I'm always going to want to do it the other way around. Um, you know, three <laughs> strikeouts in the inning, a 14-pitch inning. So, you know, three strikeouts in 14 pitches, he's absolutely, you know, that stuff is there. He's yeah. untouchable. And, yeah, then no Kirk came in, and you're almost thinking, why are we throwing, you know, they're two pretty decent pitchers. They are now, in my mind, I would feel comfortable if they're coming in in leveraged spots. Me too. So to use them in a, in a blowout, you know, with another game in the series to go, mm. was was a bit surprising. You'd think that they would, you know, maybe you'd give Castano two innings if you're only going to send it down afterwards. But ultimately, it's it is good to see the, the bullpen is to me, you know, an asset right now. There are guys in that bullpen, you know, we've still got a bit of an issue with you know a couple of home runs here, there, and everywhere. But that's that's the bullpen. It, it, it is by its very nature. 
going to be sort of you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. But you know, on on the whole, the the bullpen's been pretty tidy. I'm completely with you. Uh, and then yesterday, obviously, uh, you know, the the Bassman gives up a bomb. Uh, as does Salsa, as I already mentioned. I mean, you know, uh, actually, did Salsa give up a bomb? Bassman did for sure, but um, I think Bass I think did for sure, yeah. Bass, Bass did, and that went, I think, miles from Schwarber. Like, that almost left the stadium. I think it was actually Eliezer that gave up the bomb to Bryce that was like the uh-huh, moonshot, yeah. the, the moonshot one. But um, that's actually where I want to finish, mate. Just on, on the bullpen, I'm completely with you. It's It's performed well. Again, I think we kind of saw that after the Giants series, after we spoke, and we are like, actually, your pen looks nice. I mean, I think just looking back, and Kim called it out on the on the broadcast, I think, you're just getting those two arms, those major league, maybe even above average major league arms from the Orioles, just really give it a boost. And, you know, I, I also called it out pre, pre-season that I liked Lewis Head. I think Lewis Head could be a real nice piece too. I, I don't think he's given up a run yet either, so he's had a nice start. Salser, I think, has two. Tanner Scott has. Um, O'Kurt, like, these dudes are doing well. Plus, Bender looks fine in, in the ninth. You know, Bassman, you know, you know, low leverage guy. That's just what it is now. And um, we're happy with that. But experience, too. I want to ask you one final question before we let you get out of here. And it's, it's around Eliezer Hernandez, mate. Um, six innings for Eliezer yesterday. I spoke about it maybe with you last week, maybe with someone else. But just saying how big it could be for him. The next few few starts after a little bit of a rocky one, going up against the Phils, then also against the Bravos, like it looked like it could be a big test for him. So to come out yesterday, just one earn run, um, earn run, the Bryce Moonshot, how big was that for him? I think it was. It was, and it was us talking about the idea that if he did struggle in the next couple of starts, you know, with Meyer down in AAA or pitching as well as he is, you know, is is he in a hot seat? And you know. If, if he if he were, then he absolutely did what he had to do. Mm. You know, six innings from him is is something that we're not used to seeing. I think it was, I think it was either his fifth or sixth time through six. You know, it, which you know shows you kind of how we've used him before, almost as sort of like that a long man, but in the starting lineup. I think the one thing that really um, struck me was. His previous issues and the reason why he doesn't normally go that long is the third time through the lineup, which, to be fair, most pitchers struggle more in the third time through because obviously the hitters know what they're seeing. He gave up the solo home run to Harper in the fifth. And, you know, Marlins had a, a pretty decent lead. You know, if he, if he left in the fifth, job done. You know the bullpen with a day off, you you can you can expire it. it. It would be fine with such a lead, but no, he came back out in the sixth. Schwarber, Segura, and Gregorius, and got all three of them out. You know, one, two, three inning, and I think that's really key that the Marlins a trusted him to do it, which with the lead, it's not that much of a difficult. But two, and more importantly, that he was able to come out and get the inning finished off. You know. It was, it, I think, for him and, and for us as fans to watch him do that, it, it gives me a lot of confidence in saying, I mean, with, with Lazardo, and we'll, we'll see how that goes, you know, he looked he looked like the best fifth starter in the, in the league. Now, if, if Lazardo now bumps up to the fourth and, and Hernandez becomes the fifth, even still, I'm really happy with that. And I think it gives my... Uh, um, more time in the minors to work through it. You know, 
build up that change up. And as I said, I'd like to see him in the majors, but at what cost? What are you going to do with Alicia? He is currently a perfectly serviceable, above-average starting pitcher. He absolutely is. He is. Again, too much depth. What a shame, hey? What a shame. What a shame is right. So at some point, someone will need to miss a start or two and... You know, it is what it is. I think what we've seen already, Cody Poteet can absolutely step in that spot too. Like, there's no reason why you can't go and say, Cody, we need four from you today. And, you know, for me, he's proven it. Because this, the Phillies lineup, particularly, I think, yesterday, it definitely wasn't a cupcake lineup yesterday. I think that the the Friday game, you know, they rested JT and they messed, you know, played around with it. And I think that really played into the Marlins' hands for sure. Like, Rio Muto is a big part of that, that lineup for sure. And... um but that's where the depth is. Exactly. And the Marlins have the in. depth. The Phillies don't. When the Phillies need to have a guy have a day off, or God forbid, two de- two guys have days off, that that's going to affect their lineup massively. It does. We and, saw it, didn't and, we? We really saw that with the Phils. Like they looked that Friday game. It was like a real it, it, hyper focus on it. That all of a sudden they had. You know, it looked so weak very quickly with Rio Muto missing. Uh, and clearly, you know, most backup catchers are a significant downgrade, but Rio Muto is, you know, top three catcher in baseball. So the downgrade is even steeper. Um, plus then they add, you know, the guy in center field, I'd never even heard of him before, um, if I'm honest. <laughs> Sounded like an Italian name, but it felt like a real thin lineup. Camargo's at third base was okay, but, you know, this is the problem for the Phils. They've, they're just, they've thrown a lot of money at, you know, various dudes, but I think Schwarber was missing that day as well. And that's the problem they face. They just lack depth. You know, anything major happens to Bryce Harper, then the Phils are just in massive, massive trouble, I think. They're just they're just not well... The, the roster is so imbalanced. It was imbalanced last year, and I think they've thrown a little bit more money at it this year and added a few more DHs, but I still don't like the way they look. And, yeah, like you said, if, if, if Wheeler falls off, if he has a major dip for whatever reason and isn't the 2021 Wheeler then the Phils are in real, real trouble, I think. But we'll wait and see. It's early. They'll be thinking the same. It's early and, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, like you said, mate, on Eliezer, just to wrap up on him, stunning start. You know, obviously gave up the bomb to Bryce third time through. Um, But like you said, Donnie getting him back out there, giving him the opportunity to go six. I think that was big. I think that was real big for him. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, pitch well, pitch with confidence. The thing is with Eliezer, we just need to see the health. We just need to see him stay healthy for a sustained period. And the results are there. Like, he's he's a he's a nice number four or five dude. He is. And if Lozado continues on the path that he starts, I mean, it's going to be hard to continue at that, that level. But if Lozado is, takes a kind of Trevor Rogers type jump, then all of a sudden you do, you legitimately have four really nice dudes. And Elias is your fifth, I guess. Um, and he's one of the best fifths in the league, I guess, by that, you know, by that phase. So... Yeah, what an encouraging series. And day off today, we record this on Monday, and we've got a you know a series coming up against the Cardinals and the Bravos, mate. How are you feeling about those very, very briefly before we wrap up here? Cards three games, Bravos three games. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cards are one of those teams that you're always going to get a competitive game from them. Yeah. No matter what. They, they are just one of those teams that have a, they have a culture, in 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 the in their team and and you, you you're fighting against that you know the the guys in the lineup don't really 
They do matter, of course, but ultimately you're you're facing the Cardinals. That's how I've always viewed it. And and as you said, they play the Marlins hard. And then the Braves. It will be our first test against an in-division rival who I actually believe is a rival. Mm. And and you know it's going to be that it's going to be that litmus test of of how do we how do we match up with them? And I think it it's going to be really important. I mean, if if we can go, you know, into that series, you know, a game under five. Well, we can't because of the way it all matches up. But around five hundred, I think going into that game into that series with the Braves is going to be really important. Just not just because of you know keeping ourselves at a level, but also because we are testing ourselves against arguably the best in our division. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really tough week for the fish, actually, this week. Uh, like, just the cards are tough, the Bravos are tough on the road, clearly. It's tough, but if I recall last year, we started slow and we turned it around with a big, almost a sweep of the Braves in Atlanta, a four-game series, if I recall. And that really kind of, at that point, kick-started us. I think we were really, really struggling. And, I, I, you know, I think we look in better shape than we did last year. No injuries right now. The cards are tough. I think there'll be some really close games with those cards. I think it's going to be back to the one-run games kind of vibes of uh, the Giants series and then, yeah, into this Brave series. And it wouldn't shock me if the Brave series was similar to how the Philly series has gone with maybe some lopsided wins, maybe either way, perhaps. So, yeah, it's going to be, I think, a tough week for the Fish, but a good one to kind of for us to understand. Listen, both those two teams... Um, you know, made the playoffs last year. Obviously, the Bravos went on and uh, and won it all. But you know, the Cards were right up there too, and you know, we're, we're a good team. So, yeah, it's a good test for the Fish. They've got a five and three record right now. The Cards, um, so they're going to be tough. So, yeah, wait and see. Um, that's all we've got time for today. More than time for for sure, as usual. Myself and Sean, we get into it. Lots of recap after the weekend. That's for sure. So, um, Sean, thanks so much again for joining me. Listen, I need to ask you. Let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter. Too many people are going, hey, I love hearing from Sean on Locked On Marlins. Where is he on Twitter? So this is your moment, brother. Share share this Twitter handle so they can, they can get you. So, yeah, it's uh, at Sean Barrett. So it's uh, S-H-A-U-N-B-B-A-R-R-E-T. And uh, try and say that quickly. <laughs> yeah, you do well after a few magnets with that one, mate. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, great. Thanks for that, Sean. And yeah, thanks. Listen, it's great to hear feedback from from listeners for sure on Twitter. And um, keep it coming. It's great to hear that you're enjoying you know both of our UK voices covering covering these Marlins on on a regular basis. So that's myself, Peter Pratt, and Sean Barrett out of here for Locked On Marlins Monday, the 18th of April. Back tomorrow, and it's going to be a Tuesday crossover episode. So it's going to be with the host of the Locked On Cardinals podcast uh, joining up. Um, so looking forward to that one. Getting a full preview of the three-game set against the Cards. Until then, guys, stay safe and back tomorrow.